2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up?
1: $45 shipping, Nick. $45 <laughs> shipping. Dear Lord.
2: It's a struggle, but big announcement. You know, with this week, otgbasketball.com. We now sell t-shirts. We sell OTG t-shirts. We also sell Brooklyn Buzz t-shirts. You know, Brooklyn Buzz logo. Hashtag buzzin' on the back. Check it out, designtree.com slash glass. You can also find it on our website. We'll drop the link in the bio. Love any support. If you want to purchase a shirt, you know, show it off to your friends, whatever it may be. We're pretty pumped about it. But Jack, what are your thoughts on it? Other than the Uh, shipping, sucking. (laughs) I mean, other
1: than the shipping, I had to, when I bought some Flatbush shirts, I I bought them while I was over in New York. So, I mean, I was in New York not only a month ago, so I guess I got to head back, pay that, get that grant. I think the $1,000 flight is almost worth the $20 t-shirt
2: yeah i agree i agree you know <laughs> and you got to come back not only for the buzz t-shirts but we love to see you over in the states but we're talking about today jack we're going to do a season review of the entire team that we're going to break into our season review for the players over the next couple of weeks and whatnot we'll probably drop one over the next couple of days as well but we'll get into the team today and as always check us out itunes Block talk radio otgbasketball.com netsrepublic.com dash radio and youtube but let's start with a quick season review of just the overall season jack Get it started.
1: Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I remember looking at the preview, Nick, as I was doing a bit of prep last night. And. I I was mildly optimistic, but I was also realistic. And I think everything that happened throughout the season, from the steady improvement of all the players to the coaching improvement to the re-signing of Shaw Marks and, and Kenny themselves, and then obviously making the playoffs, you know, every step along the way from that losing streak, all built towards uh, the culmination in the playoffs. Obviously, we didn't necessarily have the success we did, but there was, you know, some some signs going forward that should show us well for show us off well to free agents and also show us off well to, to the guys that are already there. I want to stick around, but um, a, a really great season uh, for fans and the players alike
2: yeah I mean you look at it they start the season things are going kind of smooth maybe a little bit above some expectations hovering around 500 maybe a game or two over a game or two under Karis Levert goes down losing streak happens then all of a sudden the winning streak happens after the Toronto game the team has new expectation hits a new level you know then we have all-star break which I know is one of your favorite events with Joe Harris one of our moments from last week and then you know they finish the season with a really tough stretch able to find a way to get in the playoffs get some big wins against the Pacers the Celtics the Bucks. then in the you know postseason things didn't go amazing but they did get a playoff win so it was just a really fun season and I think it it really killed expectations for a lot of people myself included you know I thought they'd make the playoffs but I never really thought they'd get a six seed and I didn't really think they'd win a playoff game unless they had a really good matchup
1: and we we happened to have that matchup and obviously it worked well for one game didn't work well for for the other four but 42 wins, you know, I, I had 34 uh, on my sort of prediction uh, for the buzz anyway. I think I might have changed it for, for OTG and previews and, and, and other sort of outlets. But to exceed my expectations by eight wins is, is a massive improvement. I didn't expect such a massive jump from 2017-18 from with essentially, you know, the same roster. Obviously, those veterans had such a presence, but, you know, it was the improvement from guys like DeAndre Russell, Karras-Lebert, Spencer Dimwini, Joe Harris, all these guys made such a massive impact. Not just on the net, but, you know, they made an impact just across the NBA, getting plenty of, plenty of kudos, and, and they were well-deserved.
2: Yeah, a 14-win jump is huge. You know, you rarely see that in sports in general, especially from a team that didn't make an all-star trade, didn't sign a superstar. You know, nothing really crazy happened. You know, a couple of vets came in to change the culture a little bit more. It was just a lot of internal improvement, and that's been you know, something Kenny, Sean, the whole entire Nets organization has done as a group is just continue to find guys that can improve and hit a new level every year.
1: Yeah, and and I think that how that translates into next season when, you know, we'll talk about free agency and the like probably a little bit on this pod as well. Uh, We spoke about on The Moments and, and, and plenty of other pods how... The, the roster construction, you know, and when we were talking about the, the, the off-season quotes and the exit interviews, you know, there's there's this sense of what if or what's going to happen, so to speak, because there's some guys obviously signed. There's some guys that need to be re-signed. There's some, plenty of guys that are free agents, but how Coach Kenny continues his sort of ethos and, and continues his sort of coaching philosophy with whatever roster construction we have is going to be interesting because, you know, the, the most surprising thing for me, Nick, you know, just looking at a lot of the rundown, looking at the, the basketball reference page, we finished 14th in defensive rating. That was just a, and we weren't great defensively in my eyes, but we were better defensively than we were offensively.
2: Yeah, it is definitely impressive. I, I think going to the, the season, you know, expectations where Nets can definitely be a top 15 offense. It's like, where's their defense going to be? And I think you brought that up on the season preview. If they want to be a playoff team, they almost need to be top 20 in both these categories and, you know, top 15 in one of them. And if you asked me, I would have said offensive rating, top 15 defensive rating, you know, bottom 15, but You know, I thought it was a real improvement as a group. I think a lot of the veterans had an impact on that in terms of communication. You know, guys like Ed Davis, Jared Dudley, Damari Carroll, and just some of the guys being better defenders and kind of wanting it a little bit more.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that there was, and I think that we just grinded out. I think the zone defense helped a lot on certain nights as well. I think Coach Kenny coached quite well on the defensive end. And not to say, you know, we finished 19th in offensive rating. Obviously, I think that's a little bit of a disappointment. But um, I I think that we have the offensive game plan and the defensive game plan and the ability to adapt, which I think is something that we all wanted of Kenny uh, quite a bit, especially myself. So I think going into next season, I said that to make the playoffs, we need to finish top 10 in one of those areas. But I think because we exceed the expectations so greatly on the defensive end, because we had so much consistent talent from the starters to the bench that's probably the reason why we were able to get 42 wins and that seed.
2: yeah and I thought you brought up a great point with Kenny's coaching defensively because it's not like there's a ton of elite defensive talent on this roster there's a couple guys that are probably above average on ball defenders other than that it's just a lot of guys who can play team basketball still think the one issue defensively is still need to force more turnovers but they did a good job defending the three-point line and things along those lines
1: yeah, and that's uh, one thing that we'll get to when we, we talk about the strengths and weaknesses.
2: Yeah, and talking about that, Jack, you want to get into strengths and weaknesses, or you want to do a success or disappointment?
1: Well, I mean, we had the transition. Nick, you didn't have to ask us. So <laughs> I gave you I gave you the segue, my friend. Uh, but we'll start off with the strengths. So my strengths, I got uh, I got three things. I've rebounded where we finished seventh and total rebounding. Uh, three pointers made where we finished fifth, and six in made free throws and fourth in three. F- free throws attempted so three real key areas that we talked about on on most wins we, we would generally do well especially that rebound where there was a massive emphasis adding in a guy like ed davis and obviously the three-pointers made all guys pretty much on the roster um who aren't bigs were, were sort of asked to do so joe harris being the best in that sort of range uh, for the entire season have any player and then having guys like carousel and spencer dim when driving like bad man, man and d'angelo russell in the latter points of that season as well being able to make drives and damari doing his sort of caroling sort of play as well so three areas that I really like from this season and, and were reflected in the stats.
2: Yeah, I think drawing free throws was huge. It was a big factor all season long because there was games where they didn't necessarily shoot well, but they got to the line 30 times. You know, a lot of that was the guys you mentioned, Spencer Dunwoody, you know, of LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, you know, even Jared Allen at times getting to the rim, drawing those free throws. That was big. And then also I felt like the depth of this team was a strength, you know, just having so many guys, they dealt with injuries, but they were able to kind of have guys come in. It wasn't like they had a ton of elite talent, but they had good talent on the roster. And then also I thought the guard play was really good. You know, you had three guards who had really good moments this season that all looked like all-stars or fringe all-stars. And then like I hinted at before, the three-point defense was good too.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the guard player, especially three guys who are upper echelon in, in their sort of guard play and, and in very different ways as well. And, you know, I think a lot of teams would love to have just one of those guys, you know, D'Angelo Russell with his sort of uh, smooth mid-ranger, the three-pointer looking uh, really pretty and, and the floaty game. Carousel Verd and Spencer driving like madman, of it with his athleticism. Spencer just being able to draw fouls just consistently. Both of those guys were awesome in that department. Uh, In terms of the depth, you know, Guys like Rondé Hollis-Jefferson weren't, didn't have the best season, but they had their moments in that Sacramento Kings game. Tamari Carroll as a starter and as a bench player. Um, you, know, you had Jared Dudley as well starting off the season, uh, but then finishing off the season, coming off the bench. And you know his role uh, in terms of just his on-court play was awesome. Shabazz Napier had his moments as well when he was required when we had some guard injuries. And Ed Davis, probably the best big man off the bench in the league, I would probably say. And then Trevion Graham had his moments too. So uh, I, I think... and. You can't obviously discount Rodion's, but he probably finished the season off as a starter as well. But yeah, the depth was certainly one sort of area uh, and we compare ourselves probably to a team like the Los Angeles Clippers where they were able to, you know, uh, get a, a six-game series against probably the best team in the history of the game. And the Brooklyn Nets were able to steal a game against probably one of the most talented teams in the East as well. So I think depth play uh, in today's NBA is underrated because I think the, the Houston Rockets, the Gold Set Warriors, could use a, a bench player or two themselves.
2: Yeah, and I think it also not only just having more guys, but it just gives a coach more tools. And you look at some of the matchups we're seeing in the playoffs right now, you know, some of these guys would prefer to have a couple more guys to adapt to what they're facing. They're always going to face different teams. They might have an area where they can attack you. If you don't have the depth on your roster to be able to adapt to what they're doing, it could mean a loss in a playoff series.
1: Yeah, it really could. And. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the reason why the Warriors haven't been going as well as they have is because Sean Livingston has, has had a massive drop off and they don't really have anyone else outside of that. The Houston Rockets don't have guys that they can sort of turn to. I think they have probably a few more. And with Kevin Durant out, that can certainly help. But depth is one thing that I think the Brooklyn Nets will continue to focus on because as much as the the playoffs is what matters, and that's when the rotation does tighten. You know, it's an 82-game season. You want to put yourself in the best position to get there. So I think depth of um, depth on the roster is, is going to be something that remains a focus going forward.
2: Yeah, and you brought up a great point. It's 82-game season, and you look at a team like Houston, like you mentioned, James Harden doesn't have to fight the entire 82-game season. He's probably having a better postseason because he's not dealing with the same fatigue. So if you have guys you can count on day in and day out, you get a couple of days of rest in there, or you can just play them less minutes like we know Kenny loves to do. But, Jack, getting over to uh, – the weaknesses, what would they be?
1: I had a free throw percentage where we were 24th, <laughs> yeah. 20, 24th in that area. I think um, a lot of fans and probably the players themselves were, were pretty disappointed in that sort of department as well. Uh, assist per game. Also kind of surprised that we were only 21st in that area when normally the ball, when the ball is moving, we, we do look quite nice. So I think that's an area we can certainly focus on. 26 in total turnovers. And then uh, an area that we sort of spoke about defensively, uh, turnovers created per possession. We were 20th in that department with only uh, a shade under 13% of possessions being created by a turnover. So um, I think that those areas are uh, areas that we can actually improve on as well. I think that there, there can be a focus, but it also has to come down to, to execution by the players. As much as the, we all love to sort of bag Coach Kenny and, and the coaching stuff, I think the players need to be able to execute on, on those sort of facets.
2: Yeah, let's be honest here. They knocked down a couple more free throws and Nets might be looking at a 46-win season. You know, there's a lot of games where they missed 10, 20 free throws and nothing you can blame on the coaches for that. That's just guys missing at the line. And you mentioned forcing turnovers on defense. You no, know, I think that was the issue going to the season. They had some games where they looked a little better in that area. But I think that, you can improve in that area, but I think also some of it's going to be improved defensive talent. Like you just need guys who are going to make guys feel uncomfortable on the other end of the floor. And then I think another weakness is just not having high level talent, you know, not having a ton of all stars or just the elite players like some of these teams do have to compete for a championship or compete to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's what kind of puts them a level down between the other teams in the East and the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think not having Karis LeVert for the entire season as well yep. did hurt. Um, I think he's probably our most talented defender, especially on the wing, which I think is uh, incredibly important despite the fact that you want that defensive anchor down low, which we did have in both the starting and, and backup units. So if we can add, imagine having a guy like Kawhi Leonard on the squad. Obviously, we can dream, but you know, I think that there's going to be growth. I think Rodon has some potential as a defender, especially on the wing. He had some nice moments throughout the season, guarding some of the best guys. You know, He guarded Blake Griffin quite well. Uh, on numerous occasions. He 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 has some defensive instincts and, and disp- defensive tangibles that are that are really intriguing. So I think that it's an area we can continue to improve despite finishing 14th. I think that you want to try and always aim higher. So um, I, I think we can certainly grow in that area and turnovers created. Those are two guys that we already have on the roster that I think can increase that.
2: And one other thing that turnovers created will do will improve the transition offense, which is another thing for a young team. The Nets really do not attack and transition a ton. They had their moments during the season. But would you create more turnovers, it opens up more fast-break opportunities.
1: And Rodion's proved that consistently night after night after night. So On his own. <laughs> literally on his own. It was the the sort of roadie play. It, yeah. it, was, it was just his signature. So certainly areas that we can grow. And what were your weaknesses, mate?
2: Uh, pretty No, Jack, I literally had all the same ones that you had.
1: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Yeah, so, um, but Jack, do you want to get into the awards for the season? I know you asked the fans what they thought MVP, defensive player, most improved.
1: Yeah, so, uh, posted this out before bed last night, Australian time, and got some good traction on it, and it was nice to sort of see, um, I put literally Joe Harrison as many as I could, and <laughs> he didn't do too bad, he didn't do too, too bad. Um, I guess we'll start off with the defensive player of the year, which got plenty of votes, and um, we had Ed Davis and Jared Allen, and Jared Allen had sixty four percent of the vote, and Ed Davis had thirty six percent of the vote. That surprised you at all, Nick?
2: Yeah, uh, it's not surprising because I think you know fans naturally look at you know the glamour plays, and that's the big blocks on LeBron James, you know Anthony Davis, Giannis. But Ed Davis, on the other hand, is more of that solid defender, makes the road, right rotations. He also is a great defensive rebounder, also a really good post defender. Kind of, he's better at the areas that Jared Allen kind of lacks in.
1: Yeah, and I think in that sort of department, it's what do you weigh more highly in terms of can Jared Allen, is Jared Allen closer at being better in those departments that Ed Davis is good at? And in terms of Ed Davis being a better defender in Jared Allen's department, in terms of the highlight blocks, the sort of ability to move a little more laterally, the sort of athleticism, is that an area that he can get better at and sort of bridge the gap between him and Jared Allen? In terms of the stats, you know, Ed Davis had a, a better defensive rating by one point per 100 possession. But Jared Allen led the team in defensive box plus miters and defensive win shares. So looking at the sort of stats have been the stat nerd. Um, but at the same time, you just look at the optics in terms of what you sort of value. Um, I would probably go Jared Allen because he he came up against the starters. So you're yeah. versing better competition uh, night in, night out. And he was able to maintain, despite the fact that he had down down points the season, he obviously still needs... To, to, to bulk up a little bit. His rebounding is an area that he can continue to improve at, but, you know, he's still only 21 years old. So I think that he's my defensive player of the year. Did you, would you have him or Ed?
2: Yeah, I think you made a great point about going against the starters. And I think you look at Jared Allen, you know, there's 10 teams in the league that he probably really struggled with, and they're guys with dominant centers or physical centers. But with the other 20 teams, he's having a huge impact because of his shot blocking ability, where he's literally protecting the rim and altering shots. You know, his box numbers weren't high, but I'm sure his rim protection was a lot was very improved this season.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure, you know, if we could afford the second spectrum shots and, <laughs> and all those advanced analytics, it'd be nice to sort of see. You know how he how he affects players around the paints. You know, obviously he's he's nowhere near like a Rudy Gobert type, but I think the one thing that he has that Rudy Gobert doesn't have is a little bit of lateral sort of quickness and a little bit of ability to play a more switching style of defense, which is I think. Uh, are much more valuable in the postseason. So um, it's obviously something he's he's spoken about and he, he wants to work on that three-point shot. But defensively, I think Jared Allen can be a really impactful player um, and he has all the tools to do so. Uh, and yeah, I think it, it it makes most sense to have him as the defensive player of the year. Not to say that, you know, the 37% of the people who voted Uh, are wrong in their sort of aspect. I think that it it depends on what you value. And and you spoke about the sort of rebounding department, Nick. You know, Ed Davis would come in for 10 minutes and have like 14 rebounds or something. You know, at the end of the day, defensive rebounds is what ends the possession. And uh, I think it's an underrated area of of defense. So Ed Davis is one of the best players in that department.
2: Yeah, I 100% agree. I would have no issue with anybody choosing Ed Davis because I think it is plausible, especially because you could argue he's more consistent defensively on a nightly basis.
1: Yeah, Uh, We'll get to the most improved player. And just one
2: thing, and I think if Karras actually was probably healthy, I think he might have won Defensive Player of the Year for the Nets.
1: Sneaky. Well, after 2019, 2020, will be very interesting in that department. But uh, on the most improved player department, uh, D'Angelo Russell led the way with 57% of the vote. No surprises there. But Karras had a sneaky 30%. My boy Joe Harris got 8%. Can't (laughs) vote on it myself, so unfortunately, all my burners had to do the work for me. And Spencer did when he had 5% of the vote as well. Uh, Surprises, Nick? You know, thought this was accurate. What, What were your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think it's fair. I think if Karras is healthy the whole season, maybe we're having a different conversation or it's closer in terms of that. The fact he didn't play the whole year, you can make an argument he improved more than D'Angelo, but he just didn't play enough games to kind of prove that. And D'Angelo obviously made a big jump, especially with the way he finished last year, coming back from that injury, kind of being in a funk. He started the year a little slow, but then after Karras got hurt and they went on that winning streak and kind of carried the team when Spencer was out, he hit a new level. So I think it's fair. He, he got his all-star nod.
1: Where does D'Angelo Russell finish in the Most Improved Player awards uh, for the the NBA overall for you?
2: Yeah, you know, going into the postseason, I had him at number one, but then just Siakam was so good and D'Angelo kind of struggled. And, you know, I'm going to let recency bias play a little bit of fact in this. I'd have him finishing second.
1: Yeah, I think i had him finishing second as well. Obviously, it's easier after the fact, and we don't have official votes. If we did, I still probably would have voted for Pascal Siakam just because I thought that he was doing it on, on such a good team and was doing it in, in in a variety of ways. And I thought he was unlucky. Uh, you know, Corey and I are, are incredibly high on him and the, the OTG basketball top 50 reflects that. But um, and he he's had a really nice postseason too. But, you know, both of these guys would be worthy of the award guys at like DeMontis Savonis uh, as well around there. Uh, but as well, yeah, you know, I think you make a really good point on Karras He, in terms of at that point in the season, I think Karras was winning the award before that injury. I think that he was by far and away. I remember at the early point of the season, it was Zach Levine putting up numbers and it's like, oh, it's Zach Levine's award to lose. And then the Bulls did what the Bulls do; They fell apart. Whereas the Nets were able to grow and get better. And that was under the guise of carlos LeVernie's talents. Those game winners, just the aggressiveness, just the the, the two-way play. Um, it would have been certainly interesting looking into a crystal ball in an alternate universe, uh, Dr. Strange style to see <laughs> if, if there is, you know, one in 14 million ways... Uh, one of those scenarios, Karras might have won uh, most improved player.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think the fact is the same reason I'm kind of leaning towards Jakim over D'Lo is the fact Karras is more of a two-way player and that would have helped his case because if he was the Nets best defensive player, best offensive player, kind of like what we saw from Oladipo the previous year, it kind of felt like that was the season he was going to have before the injury.
1: Yeah, definitely. I uh, I think that, that Victor Oladipo comparison... Is uh, incredibly apt, but um, we'll get to the MVP and uh, no surprises here. The runaway win, Gianzo Russell with 83% of the vote. Uh, Not 11...
2: Joe, Nacho Harris, no, I'm just kidding. Uh,
1: Joe only got two percent, so uh, my burners is
2: <laughs> pretty good for him, man. Like,
1: <laughs> there's, there's a fair number of voters there, but my burners clearly aren't doing the work that they should be. Uh, Karasavod had 11%, 4% to Spencer, and 2% to my boy Joey Buckets, but. Did it surprise you that the the um, the percentage, I guess, on this, Nick, or the Nets fans on the money and, and the voters on the money?
2: Yeah, I think they're on the money. And a lot of it has to do with health. You know, in a different universe, different timeline, like you mentioned, maybe, you know, they end up being somebody else or maybe Spencer never gets hurt or Karis never gets hurt and it's one of those two guys. But the way the season went, D'Angelo is a clear cut.
1: Yeah, and I think D'Angelo proved it time and time and again. I remember when we were doing, I'm looking at the sort of, Preseason quotes and the quotes from the media day and DeAngelo russell when he was holding down the the nets twitter he's he, he was asked what his goal was and it was to play 82 games and he got bloody close if it wasn't for for a few games rested and and for me that's probably the key reason why he was mvp you know there were moments throughout the season and we will get into the really in depth into DeAngelo russell and all these other players you know player season review series but uh, i think it was just the growth between him and and coach Kenny and just the understanding between the two of them throughout the season of when to play when not to play when to sort of challenge each other when to give carrots and D'Angelo the leniency because by the end of the season you know discounting the playoffs where I thought that he was pretty poor uh, but again so it was a guy like Kyrie Irving uh, D'Angelo was just able to play confidently and, and, and instinctually and that's what you want guys who are super duper talented to just do playoff instinct you know in terms of his passing in terms of his shooting shooting the mid-rangers shooting the the rainbow floaters uh D'Angelo Russell is is quite clearly the the Nets MVP
2: yeah 100 percent and you kind of mentioned the relationship with Kenny and it's kind of something we thought about all season long based off press conferences from both guys but after listening to the Howard Beck podcast with podcast with Atkinson, you kind of get a better feel for that relationship and how he kind of unlocked D'Lo a little bit more and how their relationship developed. You know, there was some fourth quarter benchings early on, but I think that allowed him to get to that next level.
1: Yeah, and and maybe Karras is is the MVP next season. We know that he is coach's pet, uh, as Spencer (laughs) did when he just put it, Um, but I'm sure that's music to yours. But it'll be a fascinating 2019-20 season. But um, what are we getting to next, my friend?
2: Areas the Nets need to improve in terms of
1: position. Okay, so positionally, I think the the wing is is the greatest, obviously, area of need. Uh, I think that the three or four position, I think that nets have been crying out for a four for, you know, years and years and since I've been sort of a fan. That's for sure. But um, I, I would say that the four or three or four position, whether it's somewhere in the offseason, I think that we'll get into more in depth free agency previews. But a guy that's just been ringing in my head, just to quickly touch on, is a guy like Juancho Hernan Gomez, and uh, and I think that. He has was mildly linked to the Nets. You know, the Nets love their sort of Euro guys. Um, you know, we, we were offered a, a little bit of a contract to Monte Yunus before he he left to, to, to go play overseas. So just a, a, a little bit of a guy to keep in the back of your head. Obviously, Nikola Meritich when he was on the, the trade block as well. So I think that 3-4 that position, whether it's sort of a combo wing or just a guy who's got a bit of size, a guy who can stretch the floor from that position because it makes things that little bit easier for a guy, like Jared Allen, where there was a little bit of pressure on him at times to shoot that three ball. But uh, I think it is quite clearly. And I think most Nets fans and listeners would agree that it's the wing position.
2: Yeah, 100%. It's that three, four position. You know, we mentioned the guard play being really good. One and two is pretty much locked up. It's about adding a small forward, a power forward, a guy I think in my eyes, I'm looking for somebody who's probably 6'7 to 6'9 athletic and can space the floor. You mentioned mentioned Herman Gomez. I think of a guy like Marcus Morris, somebody like that. And we're not talking about the elite guys. Maybe it's just a bench player or just an upgrade at the starter position. I think you look at guys like that because that's an area where the Nets really got attacked. And we're seeing in the playoffs, you know, Teams have guys like Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you need somebody at least that can slightly slow them down. And you look at the Nets roster, they had nobody really to throw out Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons really had a great series against the Nets because the best defender they had for him was Jared Dudley.
1: Yeah, and I think that Rodion can grow into that role somewhat. I know that he has such a great mentality and desire, but you know, you've know, you been talking to a guy like Morris there, Nick, You know, a guy that can play the 4-5 a sort of switchy sort of guy like a PJ Tucker. You know, oh, I PJ know Tucker. I know I know a lot of Nets fans have been being on just getting a, a bully down there. You know, a guy that Montrez Harold would be sort of perfect as well. A guy who can play the five, but is and, and I think in a lot of different ways. It depends on what you what the Nets value most, or is it just getting the best guy available in terms of what fits the roster? I think that, you know, obviously you want, you know, that sort of defensive acumen like you spoke about, Nick. You want that sort of switchability in Myers, which I think is incredibly valuable, uh, especially in the postseason. And you want a guy to hit the perimeter shot. So uh, those guys don't grow on trees, that's for sure. But uh, I think that that is quite clearly the, the, the biggest area of need.
2: Yeah, and it's just like some consistent uh, three-point production from that three-and-four spot. You know, there was moments when Damari was good from three. There's moments when Jared Dudley was good from three. Rodion's was good from three. But it was all for, like, flashes of the season. And I understand nobody's going to shoot a great percentage from three the entire year, but it felt like there was months where they just could not knock down a three. You know, you look at Damari in game one, he knocked down a couple, and then after that, it felt like he didn't knock down any
1: in the series. Yeah, exactly. So, obviously, when it matters most, that's when you want your players to step up, and um, unfortunately, Damari couldn't do so.
2: Yeah, exactly. Any other positions you think they really need to upgrade or is it more so just trying to get that next level in talent, you know, just upgrading a position in terms of the talent level?
1: Yeah, I think that you just want to add the best players available no matter what position they're at. And obviously that's through the draft, through free agency. But, you know, I think that, you know, uh, another area that was really highlighted in the postseason was that sort of third backup, backup big. Yeah. You know, when Ed Davis was injured, Jared Allen was just getting feasted uh, by Joel Embiid. Had some nice games here and there. Um, But obviously, you know, it can't hurt to have an Enos Cantor type. You know, I think that, you know, it it might sound sacrilege for me to say or or a bit silly for me to say, even a guy like Tyler Zeller, just a guy you can just chuck out there because, you know, he had a few threes for us at, at points throughout parts of last season. So just having bodies, healthy bodies certainly helps. And, you know, obviously it's not the most important position in today's NBA, that big position, but, you know, obviously it gets highlighted. You know, you look at the Portland Trailblazers now, you know, obviously, they still have Zach Collins, and, but the the losing their best big guy in Yusuf has just certainly hurt them, despite the fact that Cancer has stepped up a, as well as Zach Collins.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't even mind if they were to take a second-round flyer on a center. You know, not somebody they're looking to grow into a starter to, you know, take over Jared Allen's role, but somebody who could be his backup moving forward because they do need a third center. They just need another seven-footer on the roster, at least that six ten, six eleven range because they need someone to bang bodies with, especially when you go into postseason, just somebody with six more fouls.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, um, that was basically the reason why Semi Ojale was there to play against Giannis, just foul him and and just be gritty defensively on him. So, um, obviously, it's easier said than done. And I think that you can get those sort of centers on, on the vet minimum these sort of days. I don't think that their value is incredibly high in today's NBA. And I think you can probably, like you sort of said, scout a little bit, look for guys overseas. Whether Alan Williams is that guy next year, I have no idea. Um, I just have
2: uh, one thing I worry about Alan Williams is, like, I, I like him. And he's, you know, cool and he does great in the G League. But I a lot of people are like, well, if he was on the Nets, you know, during the postseason, he would have really helped. Really not, because his size, he's just not long enough to have an impact against a guy like Embiid. Like, that's the one issue I have with him. He's just not tall enough to really be a center.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, it depends on, obviously... The Nets are going to be in the Eastern Conference, you know, and Joel Embiid, unless something drastic happens, you're going to be versing him for, for a few years to come. So, obviously, that sort of big guy, whether Anthony Davis makes his way to, to the East in some sort of trade as well, you know, the big position is becoming more in vogue. And uh, I think that the really talented guys, there, there are a few of them, you know, in him and Nicole Jokic, those sort of guys, you, know, you need to have a, a couple of bodies to be able to chuck at guys like that. You know, Marcus has been a key reason why Joel Embiid, obviously, his diarrhea and, and sleeping and eating <laughs> habits and everything else has, has certainly not helped him either. But, you know, the, the big and wing position, you know, I would certainly much rather get a, a, a solid wing like we sort of t- spoke about with, with Morris and Meretich and, and the likes of those guys than, you know, just a, a sort of third big. But um, any sort of talent we can add to this roster is going to be of value.
2: Yeah, overall, just kind of some front court help would be ideal. But Jack, moving on to roles on the team, you know, where do you look at different guys in the squad now? Like moving forward, is Rodions look like he can be a starter or a bench player? Which you know is the best role for him?
1: Yeah, I think in terms of Rodions Nick, uh, I, I think that he is a bench player um, for the the, the short term future at least, um, unless the Nets weren't uh, to add a guy in free agency and then you sort of the really show has just this massive preseason a la Karis Levert like, then he might, you know, uh, prove his worst. But, you know, he exceeded our expectations in, in plenty of ways. And we'll, again, go into depth in that in, in the player season review. But I think he's a fringe starter. But in, in a similar sort of way in, in comparison to another player on our roster, my guy Joe Harris, I think that he would be best coming off the bench as a, a supercharged role player as well, playing 30 minutes a okay? night. Of- are you okay, look, Jack? <laughs> look, he, look, he's a starter for most teams, but I think that he he just fits the, the mold of being like the ultimate six man in, in a lot of ways. You know, obviously he is the, that sort of J.J. Reddick type. And I think that um, Joe Harris is starter caliber, but so is Spencer Dimwitty. And, and I think you would much rather have you know, elite star talent in your starting five. And I think the Nets, you know, you, you sort of, we sort of spoke about and spoke about it, Nick. The Nets make up for that lack of star talent um, with incredible depth. But I'd much rather have that star talent because at the end of the day, that's, that superstar talent is what wins you playoff games. And I think that when the, despite the fact that the Clippers went so well in the postseason and the Nets had their moments, it's the, the real ridiculous Kyrie Irvings, Kawhi Leonards, uh, Kevin Durant, you know, all these sort of guys are the ones that make the mark in the postseason. And you need those guys. And, and the Nets don't necessarily have that yet. Caruso might go into that. D'Angelo Russell might use his experience going forward and be one of those guys. And Jared Allen might become just this ridiculous guy in the postseason as well going forward. But uh, I would much rather have you know a, a, a really, really... Joe Harris is probably more of a starter than, than Rodion's courts. But I think that they're both... Um, that Rodion's is more of a fringe starter.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that and i think joe is better in a situation where like jj reddick is where you know he's not necessarily the the fourth the second or third most talented guy in the starting lineup he's probably the fourth or fifth and that's a role where he can kind of excel at because he's kind of playing off of other guys and kind of make this question easier which guys on the nets roster do you view as you know above average starters that would start on you know 20 plus teams in the nba
1: uh d'angelo russell uh spencer Dinwiddie, and carousel that i think that those three are the locks Jared Allen for maybe half the teams, maybe most of the teams Um, can't really think of it off the top of my head, but I think that those three that uh, I just said are locks.
2: Yeah, and I would agree. I would say, and, you know, even with Spencer, you know, depending on how he goes this season, I think he really excels as a bench player, but I could see him being fine in a starting situation. I don't think he, you want him to be your one or two option. I think it's like a third option that would work. Karras, I think, could be a second option or possibly a third option. Same thing with D'Angelo. It's just about finding that first option. And you mentioned needing to have high-level talent in your starters. That's pretty much why the Nets lost in the playoffs is Philly starters just destroyed the Nets starters. And a lot of it was. They're just a big talent differential. So they just need to find a way to get more guys. Guys that are going to, you know, not just start because they're on the nets in the situation they're in or because the coaching staff can get the most out of them, just getting those high level talent guys that would start across
1: the league. Yeah. And I think that if you put a guy like Spencer Dimwini on the, you know, maybe the, the Boston Celtics or the the Phoenix Suns or the Orlando Magic. You know, did the Orlando Magic win a, a game or two more because he he's on the roster. Did the Phoenix Suns have that sort of, you know, perfect sort of guy that they want at the point guard position to play alongside Devin Booker? Um, you know, it, it's obviously situation dependent, but, you know, talent matters so much in this league. You know, it's not, you know... Um, a, a sport like the Aussie rules, where you have eighteen blokes on the field at once, and yes, it, it certainly helps having the best players out there. But you can spread across the talent, and you know uh, across the sort of positions. But you know, in a in a five man game and a fifteen roster game, you know you need the best talent uh, for the most uh, for the most availability that you can you can have, and that's generally what makes the difference when it comes to you know regular season and postseason.
2: Yeah, and even though, like, regular season, I think you can get away with a little bit more because of the depth like we talked about. But during the postseason, you know, your starters might play 40-plus minutes. And know you're facing a team like Philadelphia like they did and they have, you know, four all-stars or one fringe all-star, whatever it may be, all of a sudden you're really in trouble. But, Jack, based off of potential, like, who has the highest ceiling, give me your top five ranked one through five starting from five.
1: Uh, in terms of ceiling potential on the roster? Yep. Yep. So I guess including
2: that will be free agents, AKA D'Angelo Russell.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I guess, um, I'm going to go from the top down because I think it's a little bit easy for me looking at the, the roster right now. Uh, I think Karis Levert is number one and it might be a little bit sacrilege of I me to you. say that. Um, I know you do, um, <laughs> but I think it's because in terms of ceiling, it, it's such a vague concept, but I think Karis Lavert has a lot more untapped potential in that sort of aspect. Whereas D'Angelo Russell still has a ways to go in terms of what he becomes the fullest version of, of the player that he is. Obviously enjoying his time flying private for once, good boy.
2: You can you want, private Yeah,
1: exactly. And he's hanging out with his boy, Devin Booker. I think he's in Miami right now, uh, enjoying his time. And you know, he deserves that, certainly. But I think Karras has more untapped potential because like um, Zach Lois said, and like I said in my season preview as well, he can be an all-defensive player while also being, you know, uh, you know Victor Oladipo, Jimmy Butler as sort of like that two-way sort of go-to guy. Uh, and I think that that is the reason why Karras, for me, and, and the main reason, probably only reason, ahead of DeAngelo Russell. DeAngelo Russell is a much better shot-maker and bucket-getter and shooter, uh, but I think that Karras just has more skills in his arsenal and, you know, dealer could come back and, and just be, you know, this absolutely, Deant, like, lights-out shooter, uh, even more so than he was this season, uh, improve more as a defender, improve more as a driver. If he becomes, you know, even half the driver that Spencer Dibbity was this season, then I I will happily eat my words in that department. Those are easily the top two guys. I think Spencer Dimity would be number three um, for me. I think that he still has, you know, areas that he can improve in his game. I think that he is has some defensive potential there as well uh, and especially you know with uh, so many great guards in his NBA i think that he can be a go-to point guard defender and i think number four would have to be Rodion courts i think that yeah um, there's just a lot of there that we just don't know about untapped potential you know it, it might you look up the the adjective in the dictionary those two words and and synonyms i think that you know Rodion courts is certainly there in terms of the uh the reasons that we've already spoken about and and then the last one is, is tough for me to say, you know, is it Joe Harris and a guy that is his ceiling already reached? Or is it a guy that we barely saw this season and only really saw in junk time and a guy like Jannan Musa? And, and I think I'm going to go with Janan with just purely because of the fact that, you know, I think that his G League season was so tremendous and he was so important in terms of uh, that postseason run, uh, him and Alan Williams. And I think Joe Harris is probably the fullest version of what he is, is what he is right now. Uh, I think that he can get better in areas of his game, but if you look at a guy, like JJ Reddick, Kyle Korver, you know, I think that Joe can get better at shooting on the move uh, and, and all these sort of things that we'll go into depth when we we analyze the guys individually. But I think that Jalen just has—we haven't seen, we don't know what he is as a prospect yet—and I think that that to me is 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 quite exciting.
2: No, Jared Allen, Jack.
1: Oh, I completely.
2: I <laughs> looking. I thought that you might have forgot because I was like. Wow, Musa over Jared. Yeah.
1: Okay, it, it, it's got to it's be Jared Allen uh, above Spencer Dewey in that third position. Um, I literally, I was looking, I'm looking at like the the per 100 position numbers now in basketball mm-hmm. reference. And I looked, I'm like, oh, right, D'Angelo Russell, I'll speak about Joe Harris. I'll speak about Spencer Dewey. Oh, number three there is Jared Allen. I need to look back. Um, yeah, Jared Allen, I think uh, I've done an article for oddbasketball.com that you guys can look back in, in the archives in terms of where he fits in, in the center sort of pecking order. And this is obviously a few months ago. And, you know, guys like Steven Adams, guys like Clint Capella, these sort of top level but not superstar centers. Um, and obviously both of them have had up and down postseasons. And where they sort of fit in the sort of pecking order, you know, what sort of contract, you know, can he be a Miles Turner type, a defensive player of the year sort of type who can also hit the three ball? Um, I think that I would much rather him being more like a Miles Turner than a guy like, you know, the bruising sort of, he, he has a, a, a much more similar skill set to to his uh, former college, uh, former college, well, they went to the same college. And Corey's corrected me on this before. so. Night. Yeah, they're the college alumni. So I think Jared Allen has so much defensive potential and we saw glimpses of the offensive potential in terms of he, he is an underrated passer. He can't kick out. He can make a three every now and then, despite the fact that he didn't make a lot this season. And he is good in the pick and roll. And I've I, I liked his screening, but there's so much more room for growth. I think that, you know, in terms of untapped potential, it's a word that I've used incessantly, I think that he has even more of that than a guy like Karis LeVert. And and it's also almost weird of me to say that.
2: Yeah, I think Jared can make the biggest jump in terms of anybody out of the guys you mentioned. Like, there's a lot of room for him to improve. But, you know, his ceiling might not be as high as, you know, D'Lo and Karis LeVert. But the gap of where he's at and where he can go is probably bigger than any of the other guys you mentioned. And I agree. I think I'd have Karis number one. You know, just because of the fact you mentioned, he can be an elite two-way player. And we're talking he could probably be a top five shooting guard and just similar to Oladipo, not in a sense their game, but the fact is he's impacting the game offensively, running things, scoring, passing, do whatever it is. Then if he improves his jump shot, he's going to be tough to defend. And then defensively, he can really help put the clamps on somebody. You know, he can make Jimmy Butler's life very difficult or somebody like Klay Thompson or somebody else that's shooting guard position. And what would give him the nod over D'Angelo was D'Angelo could definitely get to a higher level offensively because of his elite passing ability, and he's just a smoother shooter and he just has a better feel for the game. I think, but that's something Carrison kind of develop. So, but D'Angelo, I don't ever see him being a really good defender. I think at best he would be an okay defender similar to like a Steph Curry where, you know, he puts in the effort out there. He's a good team defender. One-on-one, he's not going to be shutting anybody down. Then Jared Allen, just like you, I have him third because I think there's plenty of room for improvement. And then at four, I'm almost tied with Dinwiddie and Rodion's because, like you mentioned, Rodion's is just so raw. He didn't really get a ton of time in Europe, you know, with the Barcelona situation. Very skinny kid when we saw him in person. So getting more weight on, I think, is going to have a huge impact on his game. But the one thing that just prevents me from giving the nod over Spencer, I think, and tying them is I really value Spencer's intelligence. And he just seems like a guy that the longer he plays in the league, he's just going to get smarter and find those little things that work for him. Like this year, I felt like he took advantage so much of the scoop layup, realizing that if he puts the ball in a certain position, guys just can't block it because he's so quick.
1: Yeah, on and off the spore, Spencer Dimwitty has an incredibly high IQ. The man who wants to be Iron Man, and I mean, if we're comparing him to uh, if, if you know, Karen wants to do a piece on you know Brooklyn Nets players in comparison to Marvel superheroes. I think that Spencer is is our Iron Man. He's just so incredibly yeah. intelligent. Oh, <laughs> he, he does. He's, he's got the he's got the facial hair. Very handsome bloke as well. Both of them very handsome, charismatic blokes. But uh, I think that Spencer Dimwitty has, out of all these guys, I think that Spencer Dimwitty has cemented himself. As a guy that is going to be in the league for ten uh, uh, another decade, because you cannot, you need point guards in this league that can score, that can play on both sides, that can hit a three. You know, if you're looking at, you know, guys that are still sticking around, and the likes of Darren Collison, you know, Raymond Felton. I think that Spencer did when he has the skill set now, where he can age as well, if not much better than those guys. And I think that he has the defensive and offensive intelligence and just game awareness, like you mentioned, Nick. To be in this league for for a very very long time, and you know we're yet to see the best of him. Glad we got him on on that contract on on a very cost friendly deal. Glad he got that money. Hopefully, he can put it to worlds uh, a nice little Iron Man suit that he's building.
2: Yeah, I would be happy about it. <laughs> uh, but, Jack, now moving away from, you know, the roster in the ceiling, getting a little bit onto the offseason, just do some, you know, spicy hot take predictions. Maybe no bucks and five predictions like our boy Corey Waldron. <laughs> <laughs> he, got it, though. he got it. Yeah, I know. So I'm giving him props. That was some spicy stuff. I know he's going to come out with something even spicier next week. But looking at the roster, obviously, in looking at the offseason, they have the three draft picks, you know, two first-round picks, high second-round pick. They have the potential or cap space, you know, maybe even trading Alan Crabbe and getting more. What are your expectations for the offseason?
1: Um, I think expectations are to just it's it's a really tough one to sort of say, Nick. I think that the expectation is that D'Angelo Russell re-signs. I think that that's probably the most confident thing that I can think of in terms of you know, surrounding free agency, surrounding the draft picks, surrounding Alan Crabb and all the rest. I think D'Angelo Russell. Um, is a focal point uh, for this Nets organization, and I think that you know the a, a massive reason why the fan base has gravitated so greatly towards this team is because it's been you know grown inside the organization, and I think that there will be an emphasis on D'Angelo and, and wanting to lock him up um, to to a nice deal that benefits both parties. It'll be interesting to see what that number is. It's hard for me to speculate in free agency because you know a game seven with the the Toronto Raptors and the Philadelphia 76ers could change my thinking on Kawhi Leonard and the fact that, you know, he's had these links. He's, he's, was a former team in a Tiago splitter, blah, blah, blah. And Kevin Durant, the same thing, that calf injury, when is he going to be back? Is he back for the Western conference finals? Is it a, a, a more lingering issue? I think he'll we're be back to
2: Play at all in the postseason if Houston were to complete the comeback.
1: That's exactly right, and and does that change my thinking? Obviously, the Kyrie Irving rumors have been you know fervent of, of late, and it seems to me that Stephen A. Smith is the guy that's putting it out there. And as much as you know, you can you can hate on the guy all you want, you know, he's a, a credible source with, in, in in certain ways because he is one of the most revered personalities in, in, in sports in sports talk back. So um obviously the Kyrie Irving thing is one thing that how does that sort of fit with, with DeAngelo Russell as well um uh, uh, we spoke about it at length and it's going to be something it's only bloody May and it's not even July yet but it's going to be a lingering storyline you know does Kyrie Irving bring KD with him does he bring Anthony Davis with him you know the guys on the new podcast the Brooklyn Grit spoke about the Anthony Davis issue as well is there a way to add him in um I think that there's The the Nets and Sean Marks have left themselves in a position to do a lot of different things, and we spoke about that on the the, the exit interviews in terms of plan A, B, C, D, and E, and there's all those, you know, despite the fact that, I'm going to bring up another Marvel uh, uh, Endgame reference, despite the fact that there was only one scenario where they could make everything work in that, I think there's about, five or six that could work for the Nets where they would be, you know, not necessarily most satisfied with. You know, the ideal scenario is, you know, you re-sign D'Lo, you get KD and you add someone else or you add KD and Kawhi or you renounce the rights to D'Angelo. You trade off Alan Crabb and you get two superstar free agents. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that we're going to be happy-ish or at least content with what happens in this postseason.
2: Yeah, so my expectations, I think, right off the bat, I think the one thing I want, I think I want Alan Crabb traded. I think you got to trade them on draft now. You have the, three first round, the two first-round picks, essentially three, because the second-round pick is so high. So I think you want to give yourself an open slate to upgrade the roster. You know, bring back Alan Crabb next year. The injury history with the Nets and just the inconsistency he's had as a player doesn't really fit in the trend that they're going. So ideally, I think that's one thing I want because that's all right now we can play the game. Now we can get really into free agency and have space to, you know, do these possibilities. So we don't trade crab on draft night. Now you're putting the pressure on yourself and then you're going to have to move a future pick, which who knows, you could end up using an Anthony Davis trade or something along those lines. So that's number one for me. The D'Angelo thing, like you mentioned, I'm pretty happy bringing back D'Angelo unless it meant, you know, the only way I'd be happy getting rid of him if it was Kyrie came with another superstar. You know, if Kyrie... If KD was like, "Hey, I'm only coming if Kyrie comes," or you know, someone else was like that as well. Other than that, I think DeAngelo and the price we talked about, I saw it brought up before about 23 million. I think is a really good number, and that'd be ideal for him and the Nets. I think more likely they might end up at 25 because they'll, they don't have a ton of leverage. I think a team like Phoenix might offer some money. A team like Orlando, who knows? Like Chicago, I could see a whole bunch of random teams, especially because the Nets have been attacking other teams restricted for agency. And then in terms of the big name free agents. I will be happy if they get a meeting with Kawhi and Kevin Durant. That's that will make me happy. I don't need them to get them, but if they get a meeting with those two guys and it's a serious meeting, I'll be happy about that. And if they upgrade the roster. Now, is that sign the big name? Yeah, I'd be ecstatic. But is that getting a guy like Nicole Mirtich and Marcus Morris? And then all of a sudden your depth is incredible, and now you're moving up from a six seed maybe to a five or four seed and maybe having a chance to win high forwarders or close to 50. So I think just improving the roster, getting rid of Alan Crabb, and most likely bringing back D'Angelo Russell.
1: Now, this is a question that has many answers and probably can change quite consistently with the answer as well, Nick. Would you prefer to do what you sort of said in terms of just adding in the Colin Miritich or Marcus Morris or Juanjo Hernan Gomez? Well, we should do a lot more depth and and figure out some better names uh, in the free agency department. But, or would you rather get Tobias Harris on a max deal, get Jimmy Butler on a near max deal? What would you rather have that sort of potential star, that sort of top 20-ish sort of guy? Or would you rather just run it back, re-sign D'Lo for that big money, and sort of have a little more flexibility with the money. But at the same time, you need to strike while the iron's hot. So I think that um, it's a sort of, you know, you got to weigh it up a little bit. Yeah, and this
2: is a good free agent class. You know, next year is not the same. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't think it trades off the table. You mentioned Anthony Davis. Mentioned, you know, plenty of other names out there. I could see Sean, uh, Sean Marks getting really creative. I think I would prefer if they did go the Miritich and Morris route or, you know, the two mid-tire free agents. I would want them on a one- or two-year deal to keep that flexibility open because I don't think you can make the championship jump with those guys. Tobias Harris has kind of turned me off. You know, I haven't really been huge on maxing him out in the first place. I think at this point I might be more comfortable maxing out Jimmy Butler than Tobias Harris just because we've seen the impact in the postseason. And I know the Butler fit isn't amazing, but Tobias Harris just has these moments where he's just a non-factor in games. And it's like you're going to max out a guy for him to just have moments where – It'll be D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert carrying the squad and they really need that third guy to step up. Is Tobias going to be that guy? I don't know. Like, it's just I don't know if he's really worth that full max money.
1: Get that soundbite out there, Nick. That's one to promote the Brooklyn Bars, that's for
2: sure. Um, What do you think on it, though, Jack? Seriously, though, like, I I just feel like Jimmy Butler's, you know, in the postseason, obviously, take everything with a grain of salt. It's, you know, a small sample size, but it is when it matters the most. And I think you easily could say that Jimmy Butler's probably been their most consistent and probably their best player for the Sixers.
1: He has been their best player. You know, he has. I think that, you know, that's not a hot take in any sort of stretch of the imagination. Joel Embiid is their most important player in that sort of, Plus forty or whatever the the hell it was the other night. It's just didn't it seem
2: realistic. Like he played, <laughs> they only like, won by like twenty, and there was plus forty. Like what?
1: It means in like oh, I was listening to pods last night. It means in like five minutes that he was off the floor in like the first half that they were outscored by like twenty points, which is just unfathomable. Um, I think that age is one thing that is sort of you know, a little bit scary when it comes to Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, twenty nine years old, injury history uh, with him obviously incredibly talented and a real go-to guy, which the Nets, you know, are developing with D'Angelo and Karis LeVert. But, you know, Jimmy Butler is a playoff proven performer as well. He's done it in Chicago. He's doing it in Philadelphia. um, He's done it in spurts uh, in Minnesota as well. He's a go-to guy. You know, he is a guy that can prove it in the postseason. Whereas, you know, Karis LeVert did that for us this season. D'Angelo hasn't done that yet. So I think if you want to just make the roster better, you know, Jimmy Butler, the ideal scenario is just like a three-year max. Um, yep. But I think that a team like uh, the Los Angeles Lakers or or whoever else might get desperate if they strike out on...
2: Philly might just offer him... Like, it's hard for Philly not to offer him the max because they're not even in the position they are in the second round without him being on the team. There's a potential of them, I don't know, getting knocked down the first round, but getting a scary first-round series with the Nets and losing to the Raptors in four or five.
1: Yeah, and I think that he's endeared himself to the fan base quite a bit as well. I think that his on-court play, his off-court mentality, you know, I think that fans were, in terms of just, you know, the general sort of optics that I get from the Philly fan base, were hesitant to warm to him at first. And uh, I think that, you know, looking back as well, the the trade for Tobias Harris uh, might go down for Elton Brand, especially if he loses him in the offseason as – one of the the worst, um, you know, maybe I think it, it goes under the radar a little bit, you know, giving up numerous first round picks plus a guy, Landry Shamit, who I think, you know, is a, a ready-made replacement for JJ Redick. I think it was incredibly short-sighted. And I think that in my head, I'm buying into the um, conspiracy theory that they think Joel Embiid, you know, doesn't have the shelf life, you know, of, of being a, a decade-long franchise player. And they want to strike while the iron is hot with him. Um, And I think that his injury history um, could certainly play a part in that. But uh, in terms of Tobias Harris, he's 26 years old. He is a bucket getter. And he is a wing that could play uh, and would be a nice sort of complementary piece within the Brooklyn Nets offense. But at the same time, I compare this to Otto Porter. uh, The similar sort of who, who, like right now, Otto Porter is doing some really nice things on the Chicago Bulls. And he'd be doing probably similar things, if not better, on a better team like the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that with Otto Porter this season, how much better does that make the Nets? Three wins, maybe they're fighting for the fourth seed with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I don't think that it makes us that much better because he's not a superstar. Whereas Jimmy Butler, like you mentioned, is a superstar. So um, there's a lot of different variables when considering these sort of guys. And uh, I don't envy Sean Marks as sort of, you know, um, the, the, what he has to do in the offseason, but it's why he has been re-signed. It's why he's getting paid the, the big bucks to be one of the better front office executives. But so many things to, to sort of weigh into terms of how do they fit within the Brooklyn Nets organization. I know when we spoke about Jimmy earlier in the season, he was linked to the Nets. It was just like, oh, we don't want him. We don't, we're not giving up of effort. We're not training for him. You know, he's going to be a horrible culture fit. Whereas now he's playing with a, a sort of a decent sort of young team as well that has some high-end talent and it seems to me he's been like the best team man in the world. He clashed with Brett Brown as well. There's just so many different things in terms of how the player fits within the organization. That's incredibly important. And I think if you are a, a ridiculous a, a++ superstar, i.e. Uh, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, then you just forget about that and you just get the guy. But if you are, you know, an A guy, even an A guy like a Kyrie Irving or a B plus guy like a Jimmy Butler or a B guy like a Tobias Harris, it's how you fit within the organization, that I think matters as well.
2: Yeah. And just, you know, looking at some quick numbers while you're giving that great spiel, Jack, seven years of experience for Jimmy Butler, seven years of experience for Tobias Harris. So they've both been in the league, the same amount of times. Age is obviously different. So maxing out those guys would be the same numbers. So, you know, the numbers for max contracts, you had zero to six years of experience. There's a set of numbers for you to get as a max contract, seven to nine and then 10 plus. So Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler would get the same type of max contract if you were to land either guy.
1: Yeah, the the only thing that worries me just looking at Jimmy Butler's basketball reference, again, is that injury thing. And um, injury history is obviously a worry no matter what player you have on the roster. But he's only played, you know, more than 75 games twice in his career, you know, in his sophomore season and in 2016-17 when he played 76 games. The past two years, um, this season he's played 65 games and the pre- obviously there was a lot of mumbo-jumbo with that. But the previous season, 59 games. You know, I think that it's, it's something to weigh up as well with a guy Anthony Davis, but I'm oddly more confident with Anthony Davis because I think a lot of his injuries are more ticky-tack. Uh, Jimmy Butler, obviously, maybe it relates to being under Tom Thibodeau and just playing a ridiculous amount of minutes and maybe having Coach Kenny under him, you know, makes things a little bit easier for him. Um, I'm not 100% sure, um, but it, it certainly is one of the worries for me and probably one of the bigger ones when it comes to a guy like Jimmy Butler as well as age.
2: Yeah, I talked myself out of Jimmy Butler earlier in the year. I've kind of talked myself back into it a little bit, Watch him in the postseason. And then also, one thing that gives me a little bit of confidence is the performance team that, you know, they'll manage him correctly. I would say if the Nets were to get Jimmy Butler, he would definitely be resting, you know, a couple back-to-backs here to there or whatever it may be to keep him fresh for the full length of the contract. But like you said, you know,
1: three years is the most ideal situation if you're going to max him out. Maybe even four. I, I wouldn't be necessarily horribly uncomfortable with it, but... You don't necessarily want a 33, 34-year-old Jimmy Butler on $30 million a year, something like that. But You have to have um, a lot of
2: confidence in D'Angelo and Karis LeVert taking another jump, Or in that fourth, third and fourth year, they're most sort of carrying him, and he's that third option.
1: And then at that stage, you're having to pay a guy like Karis LeVert at the same time, so... You know the the cap flexibility. You know at that stage, you know DeAndre Russell's in the middle of his contract, so there's a lot of things to consider. You have to have a lot of forward thinking to be uh, a front office ex- executive, but um, plenty of stuff, and obviously it's something we're going to be focusing on for for months to come.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. This is going to be one of the biggest off seasons in Nets history in quite some time. So. I'm really interested to see what will happen. And I do have some faith that they can land a big guy. I don't think it's a lock or anything like that. I don't think anybody's a lock to land Katie or Kawhi at this point. But I do have some confidence there's a possibility the Nets could walk away with landing one of those two guys.
1: Yeah, I don't see it as, you know, 100% out of the realms of possibility either.
2: What do you think about some of the other mid-tier free agents? Um, you know, we're looking at like a Chris Middleton or let's say DeMarcus Cousins.
1: Yeah, I think that, obviously, I would prefer Middleton over or probably maybe even Jimmy Butler and 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 uh, Tobias Harris, to be honest, because, you know, he's proven in the postseason. He can create his own shot. He has great defensive acumen. He's almost just like a, a better defensive version of what Tobias Harris already is. Um, so he would probably be a, a really high on my sort of list as well. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, I would much, uh, you know, obviously we need a sort of uh, a, a big guy, but I, I think he's probably wanting a little bit more money Maybe, you know, his best option is to run it back in Golden State and see if he can, you know, um, get some more money, you know, in in the season going forward. But, you know, it's such a a, a heavily stacked free agent class. Um, th- there's plenty of guys out there, Nick, and I think that, you know, whatever happens, you know, I think that Sean Marks is going to be very active and probably already is very active because, you know, as much as we like to say that, you know, it's July 1st, but, you know, I think that the, the calls are already being made, that the emails are being sent. Um, I think that whatever the Nets do, this roster is going to be a better version uh, of what it is going into the 2019-20 season. The only disappointed part would be is that the Nets do nothing other than sign D'Angelo and maybe just bring back a lot of these guys. I think this roster needs to get better if we were to make a jump to being a better playoff team.
2: Yeah, and I think it could get better even adding some of the lower level guys we talked about, or even getting some older players that have ties to Kenny. You know, Al Horford opts out. You know, maybe they sign him to a big two year deal. Same thing with a guy like Paul Millsap. Keeping your flexibility open for you know the long term. Maybe in the short term you lose a little bit, but you take that jump as a team and you can hit a new level.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah.
2: So, what do you do? You, do you think if the Nets miss out on a big free agent that they might just kind of attack the trade avenue?
1: um it'll be interesting to see obviously it depends on uh, the status of those traffics at that stage nick obviously um i'm not 100 percent sure how you can go about it in terms of the trade department because you know there's a lot of sign-in trades that could happen i think anthony davis is the number one trade commodity um, and obviously we saw that, you know, Shaw Marks isn't afraid of making that sort of big trade move. It's how we got DeAngelo Russell in the first place. Um, so it certainly wouldn't be surprising. And I think that there's a lot of moves that we haven't even considered and we haven't even thought about in the realms of our sort of thinking uh, that could certainly happen. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I'll be surprised when it happens because I'll surprise surprised when we land DeAngelo Russell. But I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of move does happen. Um, I think that as long as there's a way to increase the potential of this roster and increase their their propensity to be a better team in the postseason, then then you do it. I think you have to weigh up a lot of different scenarios in terms of, you know, what are you trading for and what are you giving away? I think that that's just you know, um, economics 101 when it comes to a trade. But um, I think that there's there's plenty of ways that this roster can get better. And I'll harp on it again. There's, uh, there's more than one scenario that this roster can be better heading into 2019-20.
2: Yeah, and I would expect a trade from Sean Marks. It feels like I'm I'm almost hundred percent sure he's made a trade every offseason, even if it's on the smaller avenue. So I would expect Sean to do something in that line in whatever it may be. I feel like the team's gonna come out in a better in the situation. Jack, anything else you want to touch on? Um, do we wanna
1: go to the, the truth and, and, and my song that summed up the season? Yes, yes. Okay, Jack, hit me with the emoji that represents the next season. I gave it the uh the clapping and applause emoji. Uh it just I'm just was so happy with this season. Um, I was lucky enough to go to a few different games and go to a few with you, Nick. And uh, I was just, it just deserved a round of applause. You know, everyone within that organization, players, coaching staff, everyone surrounding it, um, round of applause.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go really basic. You know, I usually get creative for the emojis, but I feel like this pretty much, you know, signals how I really feel and that's you know in the smiley face page the fourth one down where that smile and like a laugh you know, it's like I'm just like happy about it like I'm happy smiling like it's just it was a really good season and I really enjoyed it on multiple avenues on off the court like you said we got to go to a couple games today or do a couple live Brooklyn buzzes at Barclays Center you know got to watch a playoff game with you went to a playoff game myself just a lot of fun a lot of guys in this team that you really love
1: yeah, awesome season. I could um, went with
2: the freaking heart-eye emoji after just thinking about how much I love this team.
1: <laughs> yeah, just to re- reflect back, um, we did emojis that re- went, uh, represented three players. And for those that uh, haven't re really listened, d I had the money bag. Lavert, I had the diamond gemstone, which I was pretty proud of. And Jared Allen, I had the kangaroo because of the hops. So I like- um, the emojis are, are a wonderful part of the vernacular. Yes,
2: sir, and they're very important when you're doing season previews. Jack, I know I don't have a song, but I know you're going to kill this with a song that represented the season.
1: Yeah, I got better by Khalid. Um, You know, just the, the, the main lyric of that song that sticks out to me is nothing feels better than this. And just every single time the Nets were winning a game, one of my highlights of the past year was... You know, obviously being at the Nets games, uh, watching that game one win with you, and then watching on my computer after work, you know, D'Angelo Russell in that fourth quarter. So um, I haven't experienced many better feelings than, you know, viewing this Nets season. It's been up and down, um, but I wouldn't trade it anything for the world.
2: Yeah, that's spot on because I think going to this year even with how the winning streak went there wasn't necessarily a ton of expectations so you could kind of enjoy the season you know there was no pressure for them to win a playoff series it was just kind of all pure enjoyment and improvement whatever happens you know they improved 14 games they lost their best player for majority of the season they lost one of the other great players on the team for a month of the season so i think you just have to take it and enjoy the year because next year you might not enjoy it quite as much because there might be more pressure on the team to yep. win X amount of games, win a playoff series, depending on who they add. So I think you just kind of take the the process, you know, the progress that they made this year and enjoy it.
1: Absolutely. It's going to be uh, a fun one. This off season, month by month, the, the buzzes, the, the season reviews, the player reviews, the merch, there's plenty happening on OTG and the Brooklyn buzz.
2: Yeah. I mean, like in July is probably going to be one of the most stressful weeks you know july (laughs) the first week of july is going to be extremely stressful so just enjoy this process and being in the conversation for big time free agents like you said jack we're dropping a ton of buzzes over the next month or two getting to our season review for each player and also like jack mentioned make sure you check out the otg merch and grab yourself a brooklyn buzz tee and check us out itunes box rock radio otgbasketball.com netsrepublic.com and youtube
3: everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium